Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Red and Buried Podcast. I'm Sarah D. I'm Frankie P. And I'm Sarah M. There's two Sarahs today. <laughs> there we go. Double Sarahs, lucky Frankie. Two for the price of one, what a bargain. My goodness. Yeah. Sarah yeah. Moorhead. <laughs> yes, we probably should have uh, led with that. We've got the fantastic Sarah Moorhead with us today. Thank you for joining us, Sarah M. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, we're delighted to have you here. I think we should just go straight into the old bio that I've got about you. A lot of people probably know already about your fantastic books, but I've got a little bit of background just in case they don't. So allow me to educate people because you're talking about school. I'm, I don't know why I'm speaking like this. Jesus Christ, shut up, Frankie. Okay, so <laughs> born in Liverpool, Sarah Moorhead has told stories since childhood and uses writing as bubblegum for her overactive brain to keep out of trouble. Fascinated by meaning, motivation and mystery, she studied theology at university. Her first book, Witness X, was published in 2020 and was described as Silence of the Lambs meets Blade Runner, which is quite the combination. Continuing to explore her penchant for futuristic dystopian crime, her latest book, The Treatment, has been described as a clockwork orange for the modern cohort. The future of law enforcement has arrived, courtesy of private health contractor Janice Justice. That's a great name. The groundbreaking offender treatment program has been hailed as the most effective way of tackling crime yet. But Grace Gunnison, one of Janice's most highly regarded rehabilitation psychiatrists, has uncovered a terrible flaw in the system, one that is allowing people to get away with murder. Over the last 27 years, apart from teaching in secondary school, Sarah has obtained a black belt in kickboxing worked as a chaplain, established a justice and peace youth group, and written articles for newspapers and magazines about her work in education and religion. She is also very lovely, kind, and has been described by past guest Helene Kist as a Scouse powerhouse. That's me. <laughs> I like that. I might get on a t-shirt, Scouse powerhouse. In fact, I am going to get that on a t-shirt. Should. That's great. I'd get that on a face tattoo. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> So yeah, was that all correct? All correct. Absolutely all correct. I know, I know, 27 years in teaching. Oh, that was, uh, wow. that wasn't particularly planned, but it's, it, I'm still there having good days and bad days. I do joke and say if I had killed a kid on the first day, I would have been out 10 years ago on license <laughs> and I would have had some peace and quiet to write my <laughs> books. Um, but that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? Oh. <laughs> We all have it's regrets. Never too late. <laughs> yes. I probably would have killed another teacher, actually. I find teachers, even though I am a teacher, I find them quite annoying generally because they're quite bossy and that's you fair. Know, it's a fair point, isn't it? Yes. People are annoying, and there's always that one that got away, as I like to think. You oh, know, yeah. or if only had the chance. Although I might write I might write them into my books as victims, because you know when Patricia Highsmith used to kill her ex-girlfriend's dogs in various books to kind of get them <laughs> get her back and you know make her feel better, get a bit of revenge. I might do something like that. Brilliant. That's genius. I have to ask, what subject do you teach? Is it religion? Yeah, I teach RE, yeah. I do RE, philosophy, yeah. ethics, kind of thing. It's interesting you teach ethics when you've just been talking about killing quite a few people. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's, um, you know, we, we're only human. We have these uh, feelings of revenge and, you know, wanting to get a justice. <laughs> and that's what that's what one of my books is all about. Well, that's really the themes of a lot of my writing yeah. is justice, revenge. How do we cope as a human being when bad things happen? And, and why do people do bad things? They're all the things that fascinate me. So they kind of cross over from my work, uh, my sort of day work into my into my writing. Yeah. So yeah. you said uh, that 27 years in teaching wasn't the plan. What was the plan out of interest? Who knows? What is the plan? You know, <laughs> what does John Lennon say about people plan? Um, you know, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. I don't, I don't know. I think, 
I think I, I'm glad I went into teaching. I think I did a lot of good. It's very positive. I've had some good times. You're never bored. Um, you have great relationships with people. I think I would have liked to have been a professional writer earlier on, but nobody kind of told you back in the day that you could you could write mm-hmm. and make it. Not that you can write and make a living, as as many of us find. You know, it's quite hard to make to make a lot of money. But I think. I think it takes a long time to figure out who you are and career is just a sort of a side of that, you know, that and this day and age, what's great is people change careers quite a lot because they spend time trying to figure out who Mm. they are and then they go and do other things that are more interesting. So Mm. I'm not sure what the plan was, but I I don't think it, (laughs) I don't think it was nearly 30 years (laughs) of teaching. No, (laughs) (laughs) but it all worked out. Okay. I mean, how do you fit in writing in addition to what is notoriously, let's face it, a more than full-time job. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I I do. I get up at five o'clock in the morning, so I do a, a sort of an hour and a half writing before I go to work. Um, I don't stop. I'm I'm like the Duracell bunny. I just don't stop. But to be fair, recently, um, my uh, husband's agreed to sort of let me go three days a week. So I try and sort of, Brilliant. you know, in between ignoring the laundry and the dishes, I try and get a bit of writing done on the days I'm off. But Agatha Christie said doing dishes is a great place to figure out a plot. So, you know, occasionally I do stare out into the garden over the sink and think, what am I writing about? So, yeah. Who do I want to murder today? How can I get this Ooh, in there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You see, I've been <laughs> such a good girl, Frankie, all my life, really. I got brought up Irish Catholic. I've always like, kind of been a churchgoer. I'm interested in religion. I mean, I'm not like a really, really, you know, sort of conservative Catholic or anything like that. But, um, you know, you try and be good and you try and please people as as a young girl and then, you suddenly think, actually, you know, there's a darker side to me. I would like to explore that. I would like to kill a few people. I would like to be very sinister. <laughs> and and also people really love, I love like, reading crime books. And so mm. I know there's a lot of people out there like me, my age, who've been good girls, who think, hey, let's get into something a bit darker. So we aim to thrill. <laughs> Definitely. <Love that. laughs> um, I'm kind of relating with all of this. Raised Catholic. When were you love good? The darker side. Yeah. Mm. There was a brief moment, Frankie, when I was about oh, eleven. Okay, I, was, I missed. I didn't know that bit. All right. Well, the good yeah. thing for us Catholics is there's always there's always redemption. There's always forgiveness, so we can go off and do some wild stuff and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're forgiven. God bless you. You're forgiven. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Phil, a weight has been lifted. <laughs> so, yeah, you write before work. And after work as well, or is that when you fit in all the yeah that's other stuff you need to get yeah done? yeah after school um the reason I started getting up was because I'm I'm I am an early bird but sort of half eight nine o'clock I'm really sort of drooling on the couch and really trying to find it hard <laughs> to motivate myself so I thought well where can I find some other time in the day where I'm not taking it away from the family or I'm not in work or whatever and it really was just five o'clock in the morning but it's it's actually. It sounds tortuous to some people, I should imagine, but it's a lovely, lovely yes. time of day. You know, if you've got a pint mm. of coffee, it really helps. And um, <laughs> it's peaceful. It's quiet. You know, you can see the sun coming up. I take my uh, my Labrador Seamus for a walk and we have a think. So, you know, it's actually been, it's quite a blessing really that time of day, I guess. It's, it's a nice thing to do. Although what you can find is that accumulatively, if if you do that for a long time and you're working super hard in school as well and then trying to get the kids sorted out and everything, you can sort of end up crashing and burning for, for the weekend. So you have yeah. to try and balance things. But it's it's kind of hard to fit things in, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine well, burnout is rife. It's rife in teaching anyway. Yeah, it's rife in teaching anyway. And then you add, you know, elderly parents, teenage boys, you know, um, your, your husband, you know, other things. And it can be the urge to kill. Yes, the urge yes. to kill. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to fit in, isn't it, to a day? Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you get into crime writing? Where did that come from for you? Well, um, it's an interesting recipe. I figure out that Ooh. the you know everybody's a recipe. We're all a, a kind of accumulation of all the things that we've been brought up in and the things we've experienced and. Uh, the people we meet and the things we're interested in and our genetics, we're all just a kind of big cake, aren't we? I'm a definitely a big cake. So um, <laughs> when I was a kid, um, as I say, got brought up in an Irish Catholic household. My dad was a medic and um, my elder brother and I, you know, before we had, uh, when we didn't even have TV during the day, you know, the TV used to come on at kind of like 
four o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon and yeah. uh, you know that sort of thing so we we and we didn't have any internet or whatever obviously back in the day so we used to get quite bored so we used to read an awful lot and we could read anything there was no sort of censorship on what you were reading which is great and we used to get um my dad used to have some medical textbooks and my elder brother wanted to be a forensic scientist and he did become one in the end so we used to read about grizzly murders we used to watch you know look at the biology books we used to figure all that out and then he also used to buy um uh, and again this is just crazy 80 parents 80s parenting we used to buy the <laughs> uh, murder case file books once a week there was this brilliant sort of Marshall yes! Cavadis. My dad had those. Yes. Yeah, right. They're so good. They are so good. So and, good. You know, kind of reading those once a week and pouring over them and thinking about them. And then, as I say, you know, we talked about medicine at home. We talked about biology. We talked about religion. We talked about right and wrong. And then uh, my elder brother, Damien, which is a really good demonic, demonic name, he grew up to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He went into forensic science. And then my um, younger brother went into criminal justice. He was a probation officer for a wow. while. And then. I went into teaching, you know, morality and ethics and RA. So it's all kind of like, uh, and then of course in the 80s with these amazing films, just amazing films like, you know, Terminator and, you, you know, Running Man and, you know, just all these kind of crazy, you know, even um, Poltergeist, you know, all these mm. really interesting films. So I kind of, you mix all them up in a pot and then you get me. <laughs> <laughs> a delicious I mean, cake a of a person. Mixture. Yes. Yeah. Cake. Well baked. And- so the sci-fi influence is still also alongside the crime. That's That's been a real hodgepodge for you That when you've been writing your stories, clearly. Yeah, well, it was difficult at first because I, I, I'm i kind of more, I see myself now more as speculative fiction. I kind of went through this trans-genre identity crisis when it's like, who am I? Am I a sci-fi writer? Am I a crime writer? Am I, you know, a thriller writer? And I was with um, one publisher and I we produced Witness X and I think they leaned in too heavily on the sci-fi. And then mm. I went with another publisher then and they said, no, you're speculative fiction crime writing. So a speculative crime thriller. So it's obviously a crime story. It's very exciting, but it's got this kind of what if element, like this black mirror element. Mm. And I just feel when I kind of found out who I was as a writer, I just felt so much more at home and I thought right, I know what to do now I know where I'm going I know what I'm supposed to be writing and um it just felt like more at home for me and I felt uh, my more comfortable in my writer's skin if you like so it was a bit of a journey that and it meant that I lost my contract with my first publisher and after that my agent said you know I don't really know how to cope with you you know you're not I'm gonna downsize I don't <laughs> You know, I mean, I I can understand sort of romance and crime and this, that and the other, but I'm not sure. So I was kind of dropped from both, which was, you know, when you get a um, a publishing deal with one of the big five, you just think, oh, that's it. I'm made. I'm going to make a fortune. I'm home and dry. I'll be retired from teaching in two years. And it really just wasn't like that. And I think the publishing industry is really quite an interesting place. It's quite confusing, arcane in some respects. And so I was all the way back down at the bottom with, you know, no contract, no career, nothing. And then uh, I just, I, I'm quite resilient. So I just said, right, it's either give it up or have to give it another go. And I gave it another go. I wrote a book in lockdown, over lockdown, which was easier because wow. um, we weren't we weren't in school and there was more time to sit around in your pyjamas. I mean, we were teaching online, but, it, you know, you weren't driving to school, you weren't driving home from school. It was just, you couldn't really do a whole lot of things, could we? So, um, so I wrote mm-hmm. a book on my own in lockdown and then, Amazingly enough, got another agent who loved it and I got another publisher. So I must be able to do something if I can get, you know, get there. I was quite pleased with myself. <laughs> quite a good writer, probably then, I would oh, say. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, not bad. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that you you found your kind of genre home, as it were, with the writing, because I think with the treatment, although there is a scientific, uh, sci-fi kind of edge to it, just because it's future, that kind of setting and that kind of modern ultra modern setting i should say it was definitely for me more a a character crime driven piece than that well there's two things to say about that first of all is it the future frankie or is it dystopian i don't know who knows so i'm not sure <laughs> myself but i'm not sure the one i'm writing at the moment i'm sort of going kind of you know retro futuristic you know this kind of what what would Ooh. you know back in the sort of 1950s and they imagine what the future would be like i kind of like that vibe yes. i go for that Hovercrafts and yeah, that kind I mean, of love thing. It all. I mean, Back to the Future. Who yeah. does not look? That is yeah. one of my all-time favourites. <laughs> but yeah, the the sciencey bit. I don't lean in too hard on it. Well, I don't think I do. But I'm certainly interested in mm. it. It's so interesting. This mm. idea of 
kind of science and religion together, I just think it's absolutely fascinating. I think too many people go one way or the other. And I think that's dangerous to kind of to be really kind of religious without any sort of grasp on the real world and any thoughts about facts and any thoughts about, you know, evolution, the Big Bang, which I love. Uh, it, it's, it's not healthy and it's, it's you know, you're kind of out there. But then to go pure scientific and ignore the fact that there are other elements in life and that there is, you know, we search for meaning and we search for, we, we share values and we need to find out who we are and why we're in the universe. You know, um, those things are really, really important as well. So, so if you bring them all together, it's kind of like, um, I think it's a really nice place to be. For sure. Yeah. And another theme that seems to run through your work is, well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth actually, but I guess you probably have quite a strong opinion on this kind of concept of rehabilitation versus punishment mm. and yeah best yeah Yeah, i do but um i think it's also really really such a tricky area because um you know as a human being i always say to my kids in school when we talk about um the death penalty because i teach theories of punishment you know this is kind of partly where the book came from Mm. they're all so for the death penalty you know they're all like oh no you know if anybody you know kills kids kill them kill them and if anybody does this kill you know hang them and i say god no you know you really that's for me i just personally cannot uh, accept the death penalty however mm-hmm. you know as good a catholic as i might be if anybody hurt my kids i would be running at them with a the machete because we have the um emotional reaction as a human being as a mama bear mm-hmm. but then we have the intellectual thoughts you know what's right what's wrong um how do we deal with these problems and then um we have the compassionate side which is you know and, and a lot of this is in the treatment there's so many people commit crimes because they're desperate and 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 they haven't had yeah. a particularly strong upbringing or they're not well educated or this that and the other and and you know uh, how, how where does the line of responsibility end so if somebody knows exactly what they're doing and they're um, very clear about what they're doing and they know it's wrong and they've had every opportunity well oof those people are really bad and they deserve something they deserve a you know a good punishment but and it's the idea of justice as well. You know, how often do bad things happen and we don't get justice? And I think a reader likes to to have that satisfaction of feeling as though, you know, these people yeah. who do bad stuff are going to get punished. Yeah, it's nice to have it wrapped up in a neat bow, which you don't really get in real life. You really do don't. You? No. you really don't. And what we want is that dopamine hit. We want a dopamine hit. So that's what yeah. I'd like to... I love to provide the adrenaline, you know. I, I, um, I can get very anxious yeah. at times and I know what that feels like. And when I write, I feel very, very calm. I really calm down. So what I tend to do is write quite exciting, stressy passages that will hopefully the reader will be like, oh, my God, what's going on? And then, you know, give them the satisfaction at the end. So adrenaline, dopamine, that's me. Love that. I think that's part of the reason that this sort of the whole crime thriller genre has taken off so much in the last, I don't know, probably 20 years at this point but it's that thing of people are more and more stressed and anxious and actually it's nice to have something that pulls your emotions in such a massive way that's what you're focused on right exactly because it's complete escapism and you're completely honed in on something yeah. isn't yeah. it so I, I think that's um yeah. I, I do think people love it and also you know um it's women sort of my age because I'm over a certain age now and they love crime <laughs> 25 that, exactly they love yeah. love crime thrillers they love it and so the psychologists say that the people more likely to get affected by crime are young men between about 19 and 25 and they are not particularly afraid of things and they don't particularly read crime books and the women who are sort of a bit older um, they're fascinated by crime and what the psychologists seem to think is that uh, when we read a crime book we are running through what would we do if, if I was in this situation how would I cope with it so it's kind of like a um, survival technique by reading a book and, and thinking about it and puzzling about it as well so there's quite mm. a few elements there that would lead it to be quite an interesting pastime mm. yeah that's why I do it I know it is because I I'm prepared for anything now with the amount of crime <laughs> books I've read true crime no one can surprise me anymore I'd be like well this is cliche for a start this attempt <laughs> pathetic get some originality <laughs> embarrassing for you uh, and, you know, and then I know how to get out of it. Hopefully that's the goal anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really a runner, but yeah. yeah, it's good to have a backup plan. And we can live naughtily, vicariously, <laughs> can't we? We can pretend we're doing bad stuff. Yes. 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 Like you say, it's that whole, you can't, you can't kill people, but. You shouldn't you really could. kill people, but. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were going to do it, how would you do it? Perfect. And how would it work? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> 
Well, you've touched a little bit on how you write very early in the morning, we've established, but how has your writing process, I wonder, developed as you've kind of found your voice and identity? Has it changed a lot over the over the last two books? Yes. Yes. So um, Witness X, which looks like this presently, but we'll be getting a new cover soon enough. That's Witness X. So what happened with Witness X? I got this, um, uh, I wrote a book and it didn't get me a publishing deal. But I had a Dragon's Den moment where one of the editors who I absolutely love, called Sam Eads, who's fantastic, she said, look, I don't like that book, but I like you. What else have you got? And I went, uh, okay, and just like pulled out this idea about this um, woman, a neuroscientist who designs a machine to read witnesses' experience. So she can experience what the witness saw at the crime so she can try and use that to solve the crimes. Uh, because... I am a nosy cow and I would love to see that. <laughs> but also I have a real obsession and I've always been obsessed with this idea of what is truth, you know? Is there an objective truth? Is it all subjective? Yes. And when you have a crime, you've got so many people seeing um, things from their own perspective. They bring in their own biases. They might see part of the picture. They might not see all of it. And, you, you know, even with the best intention when you're in court and you tell the truth, is it the truth? Are we getting anywhere? So that's where the book came from. So I said, what about this idea? And she went, yes, go away and write it. So I hadn't planned it. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to structure <laughs> a book. Uh, I started writing it. And every time it went to my editor, she's like, yes, change this, change that. And I wrote it and changed this, change that. And I found it actually quite stressful not having planned it. It was kind mm. of brilliant in a way because it was like doing um, a one-on-one -on -one MA with one of the best um, editors in, in the business because she, she's so brilliant. She's so kind. And I learned an amazing amount. However, as I said, when I wrote The Treatment, this lovely autumnal pumpkin colours, um, when I wrote that... Gorgeous cover. Isn't it exciting? I'm so pleased with it. Mm. Uh, when I wrote that, mm. I was on my own. I had time to plan it, and I kind of thought ahead a little bit. So I've gone from the panther to the plotter. Um, <laughs> but I'd also say I'm sort of a discovery writer, so I, I understand the way a story's structured now. So I see that as the skeleton of the story... And then as I go along, obviously I'm developing the muscles, the flesh, the outfits, the hairdo, the makeup. So, but I have I have more of a sense of how it works and where I'm going and how a story works nowadays. Although after saying that, every time you start a new book, I go, I have not got a clue how to write, um, and that's I think that's what a lot of authors. Yeah. Okay. So, do you enjoy the planning process, or is it a bit of a necessary evil for you? Um, I like it. You know, um, in the sense that. There's this wonderful, um, I'm a good friend with Stu Turton, you know, wrote um, Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. I used to teach him. Yeah. I was his teacher. Amazing book. Yeah. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. wow. That's cool. Uh, and when we talk about, we talk about noodling. So noodling means when um, your story, you're like thinking about what's going on in your story at the back of your brain uh, while you're talking to people, you have a very slightly misty look on your face or... You know, when you walk in the dog and you're <laughs> saying, hey, Seamus, what do you think of this happens in the story? So there is that. And that's um, that's a look, you know, that that's a very calming place to be. My brain is very, very busy, probably highly likely uh, neurodivergence, probably a bit of ADHD or something. So to be able to focus on something, believe it or not, that kind of hyper focus um, is very calm and it's very relaxing, you know, get a really good feeling about it. So... Yes, I enjoy it, but at the same time, well, it's like a puzzle. You know, I like jigsaw puzzles, you know, this idea of the whole picture and then you've got all the little bits that you put in together. Yeah. So I think my brain must work like that as well. Uh, but sometimes when you, you don't really know where you're going, you just got to sit and write it out. You just got to sit and write and write until it comes to you. And I think a lot of it's kind of subconscious mm. and your brain does a lot of it on its own. I, if you ask me subconsciously, I'd be like, I haven't got a clue what's going on. I don't know what's happening. But underneath, somewhere, something's going on where it all kind of comes together. So hopefully that will happen with my new book that I'm writing at the moment. Mm, exciting. And as and the process for that, is it, have you got it to a, a fine art now? You've, you've, you've planned enough, you've pantsed enough, there's enough kind of move, room to move within that? So I've kind of thrown, I've, I've got my structure, but I'm having a little bit of trouble with the crime. So there's a few bits missing. Mm -hmm. The thing about planning is, though, that you never get to that stage at 30K where you go, I don't know what this story is about anymore. I don't know what the hell's going on. You do have a sense of where you're going. So for me, that's very reassuring. To, and, and also, I think, you know, there is a natural, I think our brains are wired for story. I think story is how we understand the world. 
and you know the world's full of stories memories you know religions um dreams daydreams whatever there's, there's stories are everywhere so to, to have that basic understanding of the, the way your story's going to go it's just really it's reassuring and you know you're in the right you know you're in safe hands you know where you're going so i do prefer that as to just putting pen to paper and wondering just taking my pencil for a walk i don't think i could cope with that <laughs> You really walk shameless. You don't want to do two walks in a day. It's exactly. a lot of walking. Exactly. He would not. He would Nicholas, be jealous. Face yourself. He would be jealous. <laughs> because one of the questions we, we like to ask uh, all the authors that come on is, what do you like most and least about the writing process? Mm, good question. Do you know what I don't <laughs> like? I don't like the fact it takes so long. I think I take so long over it and I uh, probably overthink quite a lot. So, um, and, and a lot of my pals, they, they don't have day jobs per se but they can bang out a book a year and there's just no way I could do that. And it's frustrating, you know, that it takes me so long. But after saying that, I mean, the sort of things I'm writing about and the sort of the themes, you know, they do take a little bit of thinking about, I guess. They're take complex. A bit of, like research. So in the treatments, mm. I've always been quite obsessed with psychopathy. Um, so I did spend quite mm. a lot of time reading about that. And then that took a bit of time to figure out how you could, you could cure it, obviously. And um, so, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was really lucky to meet a lovely, lovely doctor from the Walton Neurological Centre, which is actually only a few miles away from my house. I, I went on the Internet and I said, can anyone help me with empathy? How's it work? What is it about? What's the temporal junction? What's going on? And um, I tried like sort of it was in lockdown. So a lot of the universities were closed and whatever. And then for somehow I ended up in touch with Jane Martlow. And we spent a few, I mean, she's never seen me in life. She didn't know who I was. And she spent a good three hours on Zoom and over a couple of weeks um, talking about empathy, talking about how it's created in the brain. And she went away and did a bit of research herself and had a look of it. And we, we ended up figuring out that wow. empathy is like an umbrella term for a number of things that happen in your brain. And it was just absolutely fascinating. But, you know, I learned so much writing that book, but then you don't want to sort of squash it all down and make it look like a TED talk. You don't want to be intense mm. and you don't want to be, make it sound like like a, a neuroscience book. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed learning and I enjoyed sort of interpreting it for the reader. So it was light touch, but you get a real sense of what's going on and that we're learning something. So I found out that empathy is, it's not only sort of cognitive, so psychopaths can understand what empathy is. They understand that you might feel a certain way if something happens to you, and that makes them able to manipulate you really easily. There's compassionate empathy, which is where, you know, if um, if it, that makes you want to help somebody to hurt themselves. And there's kind of empathy where um, if you hurt your, if you fall over and hurt your knee, my mirror neurons in my brain will create a similar sensation in my knee. So I actually can understand what you're going through. And there's another type as well, which is just kind of you feeling sorry for people. So that that just blew my mind. And I, I thought and noodled over that, you know, for months and months, really thinking about it. Wow. That's really interesting. Sarah, does this really resonate with you as a psychopath? Do you think that you, you feel seen? <laughs> she, she's teasing. I would just I'm like not. Sarah once said to me the actual words, I'm really good at manipulating people. You, you know, as a, you as a writer, you should be as well. You know, if you're going to write, that's exactly what we do. We lie and we manipulate for a living. Unfortunately, I don't write. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> she just does all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah resonating hard. It is fascinating, though. Mm. See, I want to read this book as well. You should have done like a companion textbook or something. Yes. Amazing. But then how would you have the time to fit it in? Just read all my books and then just tell me how fabulous I am. That's what we do it for, really. It's validation, isn't it? We just want to feel somebody sees us and thinks we're great. That's what we do it for. <laughs> you do a great job. Definitely. Are there ever, do you ever have periods of time where you don't write or are you quite religiously every day? Or oh, no, I don't do every day. No, is? no, don't do every day. <laughs> um, sometimes things just take over. Uh, you know, and mm. I like my dad needs a bit of looking after these days. Um, he's 83. He's super, super cute and gorgeous. He was the one who said to me, you know, um, he, he used to say, um, aim for the sky, Sarah, and you might land on the rooftops. And it's always gave me, given me this idea that, you know, why not? Why not try writing? Why not give something a go? You know, you could do you can do something. And, and he gave me that sort of self-belief. Um, so he needs a little bit of looking after and you, you just don't know. And the boys have got a 13 year old and a 19 year old, you know, so and you don't know also what's going on if it's an exam time or 
Um, like mm-hmm. last week I had, a, you know, when you go back to school and you just get every bug and lurgy. And so sometimes I just spend <laughs> a couple of days yeah. in bed, you know, on the weekends. So it just depends really. But I don't, I don't think you should force it. But at the same time, I think it's a, a huge matter of arse in chair. If you want to get the book written, Get your ass in the chair. Like Benny from um, ABBA used to say, if he's not at the keyboard between <laughs> nine and four every day, the songs don't get written. So I have to do my homework. You have to be a super yeah. trooper. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> there you go. Sarah's a big ABBA fan. You see, it must be a Sarah thing. Um, I also love how your dad encourages you to aim high, but not not moon high. He's been realistic yeah. with his reach. I like that. <laughs> Everybody's saying it's just good. give it a go whatever you get out of it. There you go. That's great, isn't it? And I think that leads to the idea of sort of um, excellence, not perfection. You know, don't go, don't go too mad. Because as a writer, you would kill yourself trying to get your book perfect. You would absolutely go bonkers. But then on the other hand, you have yeah. to face yeah. the wrath of Goodreads, which is um, it can be very, <laughs> can be very painful. You know, especially after you've spent sort of like two years writing a book and mm. then. You know, Barbara from, you know, Basingstoke, who, who you know, sort of says, oh, the, you know, the, the character was really boring or something. And you're going, no, Barbara. Somebody told me once I was a, it was a disappointment. My book was, oh, isn't that the worst thing your mums and dads ever used to say to you? Yeah, they've earned angry. the right to say that. Not you, Barbara, from wherever exactly. the hell you're from. Bloody cheap. Exactly. Unbelievable. Do you, do you, do you read? Good reads. Not any then. bloody more, I don't know. Jeez, not anymore. <laughs> right? It's just, it's just hell. It's yeah. just hellish. I mean, there could be loads of good stuff, but then you know, you know the way the human brain is. We um, yes, we we read the good and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you look at the bad and you, bad and you focus in. And again, this is what psychologists say because mm-hmm. you, you're trying to be better. You're trying to avoid pain. You're trying to, you know, you, you, there lies the way of madness, ladies, going down the good reads path. <laughs> I yeah I couldn't do it no, although to be fair not. it to would be, break me <laughs> I got my best ever review my, which made me laugh the hardest and again I'd get it on a t-shirt is somebody just put witness x one star more like shitness x so I just thought that's <laughs> hilarious and I am I'm actually quite proud of them I think that's more. I think that says more about them being proud of that, being like, "Oh, no, I have to say this." I don't think they necessarily even meant it. They just wanted the excuse to say shit. This, I, I, so, I, I like, like that. I think it's quite funny. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. I'm going to uh, review his review. Wordplay. I'm going to give him a five star review. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, five 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 stars. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. So, um, on the topic of your characters, which you're mentioning just now, we also like to ask um, each author we speak to, if you could be any character from one of your books, who would you be and why? Well, I think I would like to be Grace in the treatments because she's Mm. so ballsy, really, and she's been through so much and she's got her head screwed on and she knows, you know, she knows where her loyalties lie. Um, obviously, she doesn't make all the decisions I would make, um, and and I'm not as smart as her. But um, I think she's a she's a she's a, somebody you really want to root for. And I think um, Frankie, mm. you mentioned before about character driven stuff. And I, mm. when I was a newbie writer, you know, um, people say, "What's more important, plot or character?" Well, you know, essentially the two things are intrinsically, you know, linked. You can't really split them up. But I would have always gone plot. I want to read something exciting. And all the older, more experienced authors would say, character, character. And I thought, no, no, never, ever going to, no, never. But you know what? When you look at it, isn't that where your love lies? Isn't that where your loyalty lies? Isn't that mm-hmm. you, what you care yeah. about this person? You relate to them. They're either your avatar or you want something for them or, or, or you can see, you know, where they're going and what they need. And, and I think now, yeah, character for sure. Mm. It's that empathy thing, like you say, it's you're stepping into their shoes and you want to live in their world yeah. and see them do well or not, yeah. depending on the yeah. character. But yeah, you, know, <laughs> you had to say Grace from that book. Yeah. You had to say Grace, you know, not not like that. But it's like, because, oh, yeah, she. she's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but with, with Grace, obviously, she, she's a very complicated character. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot of la- layers to her. Like, how do you go about constructing a character that complex? Well, you look at most people, they're really complex. And when you when you look at, um, yeah. you know, it's all well and good, you know, because we've, we've met on here, uh, you know, just this evening. And <laughs> I, I don't know what complicated lives you've led and, and the difficulties and the people you've lost or the decisions you've made or the regrets you have. So you look at a person and, 
you know, even looking at the kids I teach, their life life is complicated. Life is difficult at times. Um, you know, so really, you just look at human beings. Loads of people always say to me, "Where'd you get your ideas for your story?" And you go, "Just look around. Just look at people. Listen to people. <laughs> think about what they go through. Think about what you know the challenges they have. There's stories just everywhere, and ideas everywhere. And then if you add a what if to that, you know." I think what if, if I was ever going to get yeah. a tattoo, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too much of a coward. I'd just get what if dot, dot, dot and question mark because <laughs> that's that's the magic ticket on a, on a special speculative fiction. You know, what if we could cure psychopathy? What if we could stay into the witness's minds and stuff like Black Mirror? Um, you know, it's, it's the what if question that makes it really, mm. really intriguing, I think. Yeah. And on a really superficial level, I have to say, you have the best character names ever. Like yes. Janus Justice, Grace Gunnison. Love it. I mean, <laughs> well, you know what's really interesting? Um, I'm, I'm sort of really obsessed with names. Um, so my, mm. um, uh, my my family's Irish, my husband's Irish, and my uh, my son's, one's called Patrick, Paddy. The, the, the boys, all the men in the family call him Paddy, <laughs> and all the women call him Patrick for some reason. And when he was a baby, he yeah. had a... Um, <laughs> like a cute birthmark on the back of his leg. So I used to call him Patch. But so names are really important. It means like a noble man. <laughs> and I and he's called Patrick Isaac. And in the Bible, um, Isaac's, Isaac's mum's called Sarah. Uh, and obviously I'm called Sarah. And Isaac means laughter. So yeah. I wanted him to be a noble man who who, oh. who uh, was full of laughter. And my wee man, Tyg, um, he, uh, it, sure, my husband's a philosopher. And uh, obviously I'm a wow. writer. And Tyg is an Irish word meaning a philosopher or a storyteller. And it's just really nice because it's like um, it sounds like tiger without the you know, and he's lovely, gentle soul, yeah. you know. So I think, and and often teaching a lot of kids, you do see like I've never would have called me kid John Paul because all the John Pauls I ever taught were naughty, you know. There's a kind of there's a vibe <laughs> of a name, Sarah. You must share something mm. in my vibe of my name. So um, Grace um means um unearned mercy. And she's obviously somebody who thinks mercy is really important. Mm-hmm. And wow. in Witness X, yeah. um, Kyra, well, in Greek, in, in, in sort of Greek, there's two words for time. One is chronos, which is chronological time. So, you know, A happens, then B happens, and C happens. Whereas chirological time is really when something important, an event happens. So for me, because Cairo is going into people's minds, not when the event happens, not in a linear way, but when these important events were happening, I called her Cairo as a sense of, of, of like kind of chirotic time. But um, uh, Janus Justice, you know, Janus obviously is the Greek god of doorways. And that's why we get, we get the word January from, where he looks back on the year and oh. says, well, look at the things that have happened. And he looks forward on the year and says, look what could happen. And, and and I think about that when it comes to rehabilitation is, um, you know, anybody can have had a past and, you know, you're at this moment in time. What are you going to do? How are you going to how are you going to move forward? Is it going to be different? Wow. That's really interesting. And like you say, it's the power of a name and a label, even like the term mm. being branded a psychopath. Yeah, you know, mm. I, 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 I find that subject really interesting as well. And I, I read a, a study. I read a, a thing once about how. When a, a, a guy was very young, when he was a child, they said he had psychopathic tendencies. But once that label was applied, his p- complete personality changed yeah. because it was almost like that you are that now and you fall into that. What do they say? Give a dog a bad almost. name, you know, give a, give a dog a bad name and, pe- and people start to, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. It is interesting. Wow. Labels, hey. Gosh. I bet you and your husband have some fascinating dinner conversations. Oh my god, we by have such great conversations. We have, honestly, <laughs> honestly, honestly. And there's often times wow. where he'll just say, because I mean, he's super, super clever. He's a lot cleverer than I am. So, for instance, um, during the summer holidays, in the morning, he would drink coffee in the morning and read French poetry, and then in the evening, he'd drink wine and read German philosophy often in German and I, I kind of get up and I write a bit and then I'm just like on the couch like drooling watching sort of you know married at first sight <laughs> or something so um God, God love me just put up with me but yeah we have brilliant discussions and we you know we did as kids we did at home as well you know um over the table as well we had really great discussions as well and I think that's often um I feel like that that's really often part of the Irish culture where we sit around and we, we you know the fire's on and you know, the TV's yeah. off and we have a cup of tea and we have a really good talk and we tell stories. And, you know, I, I think that's a lovely way to be. Absolutely. And obviously then you are a family of readers as well, mm. by the sound of things too. 
so much it's so. It's a very eclectic reading collection. Can you see my piano desk behind me? Yes. So it was a piano. And we, you know you can't get rid of pianos for love and money. It costs a fortune. So I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, they're all free on Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, so I took the front woodwind bit off and put shelves in, and I took the keyboard off, and that's a writing bit, and then I left <laughs> the strings out, So and I put loads of books on it. So we just needed more space for books. That. There's my to-be-read pile there. Can you see that naughty to-be-read pile so um, yeah, we've all got one. Yeah, so we do like we do like a few books. I'm 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 really pleased because my sons read as well, which um doesn't always happen. But <sighs> I said to my youngest son, uh, it doesn't matter how much books cost; just you can have whatever book you want. I kind of vaguely regret it now because he's into um, <laughs> yeah. he's into um, first editions manga. He's into manga. Oh, and we've just he's just he's literally read the first ninety one One Piece, and they just brought it out on Amazon. Did you see it on Amazon? The the live action version oh, wow. of it's so good. So um, you know, yeah, it, it's so wonderful to see your kids excited about getting a book. Although my big lad, Paddy says, mm. Patrick says he can't read my books I write because he can hear my voice so clearly in them that it drives him mad <laughs> and he can't read them. Like a free audio book, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Love that. So, so in that case, what is the last book that you read and loved? I have got... Give us a recommendation. I go into... I have big writer crushes, and my most recent writer crush mm-hmm. is Fiona Cummings. Oh, we love Fiona. I love her. Past I mean, guest. She's so intelligent, and she's so measured the way she speaks, and I think her past work as a journalist was really, really interesting. I love the way it influenced her books. Um, I was super mm. lucky. Um, Waterstones Liverpool won. I do quite a few interviews for authors there, which is brilliant. It's such a wonderful... Um, thing to be able to do and I was lucky in July to interview at the same time Claire McIntosh, CL Taylor and Fiona Cummings wow. and I was just like these oh. are the goddesses and so before <laughs> that yeah. so before wow. that I had to read um, Into the Dark and I don't read on Kindle I much 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 prefer you know a physical book mm. otherwise I kind of just I'm, I'm just getting a bit confused i I I get confused because I can't see the cover. I, I get confused about what which book I've read and who it was by. But also, don't hate me, I, I tend to write all over my books and highlight and fold things over and stick things on. Yes. And, because a book, look at Frankie's face, a book is a living object <laughs> that needs to be loved and adored. It needs to be adored yes. and loved. Thank you. So I write all over do my you books. Write, do you often write all over like your loved ones and scribble oh, yeah, all over them? Oh, yeah, 100%, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I like, to, yeah. I like them to look used up and worn out, like my, like my husband does, bless him. So, um, yeah, so I um, I read this book on Kindle, though, and it was one of the very first books I read on Kindle that I absolutely couldn't put down, uh, her most recent one, Into yeah. the Dark, and I went back and I read when I was 10 and, you know, all the all mm. the books that she'd written. So I, I think she's really good i love the lyricism of her work uh as well as it being a crime a crime thriller which i which i think is really uh, it's it's a difficult line to walk to be lyrical and to be a crime thriller i think she does it brilliantly and she has very shiny hair so she is my she does she does i love her <laughs> yeah she's gorgeous yeah. we love fiona yeah. as well really? yeah it was it was so so great to see her get she was obviously nominated for Crime Book of the Year at Harrogate this year, which was brilliant. So well-deserved. So great to see her getting recognition for how hard she's been working. Nice to see more women win that, she says. Just shutting her mouth with a little bit of wine there. Just be nice. Well, I mean, there hasn't been one, has there, for ever? So, yeah. You know, it, I think it's... Maybe maybe it's because like a lot of women read... No, maybe there's a lot of women writers and there's a lot of women readers, but it did occur to me the other day, and that's just really strange that... I, I just I think men tend yeah. to men read less fiction. It's like eighty percent women who read fiction, and yet men seem to do better financially. Hmm. I don't know how weird, that weird. Yeah, mm. I, I think it was Geetha Lodge did a, a tweet recently about the Booker Prize shortlist, saying that there were more men on the shortlist called Paul than there were women in the entire list so i love githa as well yeah. she is great great she's fun. great she is great fun love githa yeah we went out one night to oh. manchester with them do you know rob parker have you had rob parker on yet i love love rob rob no, no, not yet he's but, gorgeous yeah. and um so there was we did crime central with githa myself rob parker and stuter and you know we went out drinking afterwards and it was let's just say it was good fun <laughs> i bet it was wow what a crowd <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it time sarah 
it's time. And I feel really bad having to have this conversation. What, bear in mind what you said earlier about the death penalty. We're going to have to suspend <laughs> disbelief for a little bit and take this with a big old pinch of salt. This all next. hypothetical. All yeah. hypothetical and not a, a, a moral question as such. So bear with me on this, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I have some terrible news that I have to deliver to you now, I'm afraid. <sighs> Sarah, you, you know what you've done. Look, let's just be honest. Let's just talk openly with each other here, okay? Cars on the table, you've committed a, a terrible crime, Awful. a heinous, unforgivable crime. So bad. Despicable. So heinous, despicable, utterly horrifying in nature that you have been sentenced to death for it. Good Lord. Good Lord. I know morally we don't agree with that, obviously. Sarah and I have been trying to stop it, but unfortunately, out of our hands. It was such an awful crime. Terrible. There was only so much we could do. So yeah. the first part of this is, what what crime have you committed, Sarah, <laughs> to Ooh. warrant this response? Ooh. Right. What would I do to deserve the death penalty? Um, mm. Well, I would, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm a little bit of a fan of Guy Fawkes, you know. I'm sorry. I like that. I'm sorry, but I'm a okay. you know, nope. little bit of a fan of Guy Fawkes. And I think, um, you know, there's some people down London who... That's good points. <laughs> Just a couple. Don't... <laughs> are absolute psychopaths, absolute sociopaths, have no compassion, have no understanding of people who live different lives to them. And therefore, no. yes, I would do something very naughty and explosive. I'd go out with a complete bang. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's, a good, well, that's a good way to go. If you've got to do it for something, that's pretty good. And no rehabilitating yeah. some of those people, that's for damn sure. No, no way. That shit sailed. Yeah, no, no way. way. No way. Yeah. Mm-mm. No. Okay. Well, for the record, we think you're pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. We, we support this wholeheartedly. A lot of people <laughs> do support this wholeheartedly, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, there's been petitions and all sorts, but unfortunately, you have been sentenced to death. But not all bad news because we can get you the death row meal of your dreams. <laughs> Woo! Well, do you know what? It'd have to be, right? It would have to be Chinese, the whole lot, Chinese. Uh, I. Liverpool has a massive Chinese community, as has the oldest Chinese community in Europe, I think. And um, even when, I, as a fetus, I would be eating Chinese food, and I'm <laughs> obsessed with Chinese food. But I'm also, um, there's a restaurant up the road called Maze Thai. Any Scousers will tell you. It's hard to get in because it's so fab, <laughs> and I would go and just have everything on the menu in Maze Thai. Finish it off with a cocktail, and then I would gladly walk to Green Mile. Fantastic. What cocktail? Do you have a preference or just any at that point? (laughs) I'm honest, I don't tend to drink a lot of alcohol, so I'd probably just have a baby Guinness, which is a tea Maria topped with a Baileys. That's a nice little round off. That's nice. That's quite a comforting drink, last drink to have. Oh, yeah, that's so true. It's comforting, yeah? Yeah, Yeah, nice. Good choice. I'm pretty hungry now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not um, further good news for you. Um, Well... Not really. I'm afraid you're now dead. But there's <laughs> but... a psychopath. I told you. See, yeah, but proven. don't worry. I'm also, yeah. I'm also, a, <laughs> I'm also a Christian. So for me, that'll be a promotion. You know, I'm going somewhere else. You know. There you go. Yeah, feel exactly. good about this. <laughs> I mean, great news. Then you are en route to heaven. Um, but before you get there, we will bury you with one book of your choice. What book are you taking with you? I think you know. Um, I think there's a, um, uh, an Irish priest who used to live on the west coast of Ireland, where my mother's from, which is uh, the West Mayo is just absolutely beautiful and Galway around there. You know, the fresh Atlantic air and the lovely rolling hills. And, and he wrote a, a book called Anamkara, which is about uh, like a spirituality from a the Celtic world. And, and I think that would just rings, it just chimes with my soul, you know, it just chimes the spirituality, mm. the, being in touch with nature. The kind of acceptance, the sort of the next life, the beauty of friendship—you know, just all the things, all the best things that you would want in your life. So I think that would be a book worthy to be buried with. It's a lovely choice. Very nice. Wow, Sarah, I'm so sorry that we've had to kill you um, because it's been a delight chatting to you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't cry too much, you know. Don't cry. You'll get over me. There'll be another author you can kill next week. It'll be fine. That's very true. Oh, fair, our body count's getting quite high on this podcast. We've been going for a couple of years yeah. now. We're de- yeah, unfortunate. But Sarah, it's been so lovely talking to you. Where can people find you on the internet? 
So I have a website called sarahmoorhead.com where you can see my fabulous makeup author tutorial. So I've got it, which is really appropriate for Halloween as well because um, it gets a little bit weird. Um, so my my Ooh, kids in school have found this and they go, Miss, have you got makeup tutorial? I'm like, yes, I have. But um, it's all about, <laughs> you know, when you were, when we were in lockdown, it was kind of like people were doing all these. And I just thought, you know, what would it be like for an author? What sort of makeup would an author look like? So have a look at that. There's quite a few <laughs> interviews on there and information and you know, a couple of photos and, and just me chatting on. So I keep on updating it. So, it, you know, it, it's um keep on logging in and see, seeing what we're up to. Fantastic. Amazing. And Sarah, D, where can people follow us? Um, We're on the social medias at Red and Buried Podcast. And you can email us at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com. And I believe we've got a website, Frankie. We do have is. a website. That's great. Sarah, Sarah's um, more of a uh, more of the face of the podcast. She doesn't really do <laughs> any work whatsoever. Uh, but yes, it's redandburypodcast.com if you want to go to our website, which I do there update regularly also. I don't got any tutorials yeah. on it. Clearly, I need to step up my game. No, your because makeup's that perfect. Brilliant. You don't need to, but go and have a look at mine and tell me what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Looking forward to that. And Sarah, please, will you come back? And see us again because we'd love, love to have you. To. I'm writing a book at the moment, which Thank is a mashup you. between The Wizard of Oz and Frankenstein. What? Yeah, amazing. That's so the best combination that... ever. <laughs> so when I get that finished, I would love to come back and see you. I've had such a lovely time. You're both absolutely adorable. Fantastic. Loved it. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, feeling is entirely mutual. So thank you, Sarah. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back soon with another interview, probably. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Do you know your Daleks from your Dreshigs? Or your Zygons from your Zagreus? Do you know what the TARDIS stands for? And do you know which Doctor Who stories featured Kevin Grimlock, the cyborg T-Rex that became the Doctor's companion? Then this is a Doctor Who podcast for you. I'm Baz Green and in each fortnight I chat to my son Ben. Hello. And the occasional guest as we cover 60 years of Doctor Who on TV, Big Finish and more. And I did really enjoy that one. Except that wasn't really actual pirates, it was badger pirates in space, but it was still piratey. Badger pirates in space? Yes. But I am willing to make an exception for pirates this episode. Uh, Donald Sumter uh, is amazing. I love the fact that he's just, he just pops up. He just pops up, probably Rassilon, probably. Well, uh, they do confirm later on he is. I think they do. Yeah, he says on Rassilon the Redeemer. Of course he does. Bloody and he has, the, he has the gauntlet as well, which gives the hint of that. Yeah. I'm nodding profusely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, 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 we're proper classic dogs here as well, not me as well. Yes. All. In a week, has done more than the show than the last five years. I, I do like how uh, Ross D. Davis is kind of the PR spokesman for the Centurion special. That's quite fun. Yeah. And he's also saying, oh, well... Jodie and Chibnall still have an episode left. I'm not going to tread on their feet, but he is 14, just so you know, for the filming purposes. And a week later. Oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, these guys are back. Just thought you'd want to know. Find us on the We Made This Network. And all good podcast providers. What about the bad ones? Yes, them too. Ah, good. Because somewhere there's danger. Somewhere there's injustice. Somewhere else, the tea's getting cold. You know... We probably should throw that tea away now. It has been sat there since 1989.